Are you ready for God's word today? Amen, amen. Welcome our associate pastor, Matt Belusen. Well, thank you for joining us here today at Every Nation Church, Las Vegas. My name is Matthew. And we've been in a series on the book of Matthew. I promise it's not because it has my name. It's because we did my other favorites already. We did Pastor Roland's favorites. And now we're doing the book of Matthew because it has a lot to teach us about King Jesus and his kingdom. And we've been excited to go through this series. We also recently started a Bible reading plan together. So if you'd like to join us on that reading plan, you can do one of two things. One, you can just start from chapter one and catch up to us at your own pace. Or you can go online and count the days since we started. So today, if you started last week, Monday, we'd be on day number six or so. And the reading would be Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 48. So just start right there, pick up with us today, and go back for the rest later. It's, it's not going anywhere. All right, I promise it's going to be right there when you want it. So please join us on this Bible reading plan. We want to see God's people established in the Word. One of the beautiful things about knowing God is that we can come to Him ourselves. And in the same way that you'd read love letters or text messages from somebody to be reminded of them when you miss them, to grow fonder of them, We can read God's word, and God's word will tell us all about God's love for us. So again, we could start today, you could start today in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17, continue through the end of Matthew chapter 5. But today, the sermon is based on Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to camp on one word in particular, and that word is master. What do you think of when you hear the word master? Now, some of us might be think of, or might think of someone who's at the absolute top of their craft. For example, Stephen Curry is the greatest three-point shooter of all time. Absolutely changed the game forever, for better and for worse. He is a master of the three-point shot. And last night, my family and I went to the 626 night market, so I found our boy, Timothy Loyug, who is a master, an absolute master of the quesadilla. Now, quesadillas are such a simple food, but he found ways to make it incredibly flavorful and complex. So his whole thing, Dilla Manila, it's quesadilla, Manila, that's where the name comes from. He takes quesadillas and elevates them with a Filipino twist. So last night at the the night market, he introduced a pork sisig quesadilla. And it just was this really wonderful balance of contrast, because on one hand, you've got the melty, fatty, creamy cheese blend that he customized for his own quesadillas. And you've got this marinated, well-prepared pork that's sour, acidic, just hitting all the right notes. You've got crispy on the outside, um, that tender meat. Yeah. Just go check him out. He's at the night market. All right. He's probably getting ready for it right now because he's been here for the last few weeks. Shout out to Tim and shout out to Dylan Manila. He's a master. Right? A master can also be someone who has mastered a lot of skills and they have a lot of knowledge and expertise, but they pass that knowledge on to the next generation, such as Master Yoda, passing down his knowledge to Luke Skywalker. Do or do not. There is no try. Like, that's something you live by. That's almost Bible, Book of Hesitations. Chapter 5, verse Yoda. There is Master Splinter, right? If Master Splinter teaches me karate and then feeds me pizza, I will follow this master anywhere he goes. And of course, there is the master and servant relationship, or unfortunately, the master and slave relationship. There is a bad and evil and dark history of slavery in America. We're familiar with this. 
And at points throughout history, there have been some good masters, many of them coming from different historical contexts. But all of these types of masters that we think of have something in common. And that's if they tell you to do something, you'd be compelled to do it. If Stephen Curry walked onto a basketball short, uh, court and saw me shooting hoops with Jerrica and sees her beating me at horse, he's going to tell me to fix my shot and I'd be compelled to listen to Steph Curry. If Tim shows up in my house one day and tells me to prepare Ali's quesadillas differently, I'm going to listen to Tim. And whether we realize it or not, we might have masters in our lives compelling us to do things. And we're going to read about them in Matthew chapter 16, verses 19 to 24. Here's what this passage says. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And some of you can take a deep breath. The sermon is not about money. It can also be about self-image, or it could be about ambition or our emotions. It could be about approval from people. It could be about so many different things. It will be about Jesus. And the reason why it can be any of these things is that any of these things can grow and become like a little master in our lives. And you might think to yourself, well, that's silly to think that something like money could be my master. Or you may think, I don't have a master. Or you may think like that old poem Invictus, I am the master of my fate, the captain of my soul. Or maybe you're a Frank Sinatra fan. And you say to yourself, well, the record shows that I took the blows and I did it. That's what most of America thinks. Or you may think to yourself, God is my master. Praise God for you good Christian people. Thank you for coming to church today. Those of you who are so saved that you don't need a blanket because Jesus is your comforter. Right, so we have different ideas of what it means to have a master different opinions on it, but I think we can all agree that everyone is motivated by something. Absolutely everyone is motivated by something. And Matthew chapter 6 talks about different things that can motivate us. So in the beginning of the chapter, and in really the first half of this chapter, Jesus is talking about different things that motivated the religious leaders of the day. And there was one particular motive that compelled them more than anything else. Matthew 6.1, for example, says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. They're motivated by the praise and good opinions and approval of other people. And we can be motivated by approval too. I was motivated by approval for much of my life. And of course, Matthew 6.24 says, you cannot serve God and money. We can also be motivated by money. And I think the reason why Jesus used money as an example here is because it's so wide-ranging. And it can cover so many different areas. Because we use this as a tool to fulfill so many different needs, desires, compulsions, habits in our heart. And we come to rely on it. The Greek, or actually it's not a Greek word. The New Testament was written in Greek. Funny thing about the word money there is it's not Greek, it's Hebrew. It's an ancient Semitic word and that word was mamonas or mammon. 
not Mona, that's a fruit. Um, mammon. Now, mammon refers to money and wealth and possessions and materialistic things. It's really wealth and money personified. And it refers to everything that money and wealth captures us with and it provides to us every reason why we pursue it. I think one reason why people pursue mammon and wealth and possessions in Vegas in particular is for the sake of indulgence. Right? We can think about indulgence as pleasure or happiness in excess. A little bit of pleasure, a little bit of happiness, it, it's a good thing. Right? But then we start to indulge and it becomes excessive. Some good quesadillas is a good thing. Too much is a bad thing. My stomach told me I had too much yesterday. Bad thing. Right? Too much spending is a bad thing. And of course, you can indulge in other more illicit things as well. And indulgence might happen here in Las Vegas more than anywhere else in the world. I, don't, I really don't think it's a stretch to say that that's a possibility. So people live for the sake of mammon so that they can indulge. And toward the end of the chapter, Jesus lists another motivator in our lives, and that motivator is anxiety. Matthew 6.27, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? We can be motivated by anxiety because we want to remove that anxiety from our lives. So we work hard in order to keep it away. And usually that takes place in one of two ways. One, you can ignore anything that triggers you or makes you stressed or anxious in order to stay in a state of comfort. Like, oh no, the bank's calling again. But if I block it, then it doesn't come. Or the opposite is also true. And you can continue to act compulsively and neurotically in order to kind of fulfill that need and scratch that itch of anxiety, even when further action doesn't really do anything. It stopped being practical and helpful a long time ago. Both of those things are ways in which we can be motivated by anxiety. And these three examples exist in Matthew chapter 6, but the list of things that can motivate us and move us really is endless. Because we can be motivated by our feelings, we can be motivated by our family, by our friends, by a partner, by an ambition, by desire, and we can be motivated by our faith. All of these things can move us, motivate us, However, all of our motivations are not created equally. And eventually, some of our motivations will grow and become greater than the rest. And one of those motivations might even rise above and become the greatest motivation in our lives. And our greatest motivations can become our masters. Because when we are truly motivated to do something, we, are, we align our lives for the sake of fulfilling that desire. And we start to dedicate big parts of our lives to this motivation. So now I'm dedicating my thoughts to something. I'm dedicating my time to something. I dedicate my actions. I dedicate my resources to getting what I want. If you've ever been infatuated with someone, in love with someone, then you might feel like the words of Mariah Carey. I only think of you on two occasions. That's day and night. And if your spouse is not in this room and they're serving somewhere, go ahead and try that line later. So you got it from the Song of Solomon or something. Or you might be completely preoccupied with a new hobby or a new pastime. And when we're really enjoying doing something, we change our schedules to accommodate that in our lives, don't we? 
We give our time to it. We give our actions, our energy to it. We even give our resources to it. We spend money on it. We trade things for it. <clears throat> a lot of you know that I like sports cards, and when the sports card hobby was at its peak, uh, at the tail end of the pandemic, I would actually plan my routes on my way to and from meetings, on my way to and from home, in order to pass as many stores as possible with cards in them. Like, I made an excuse to go to Target every single day. Target is 10 minutes from, your, from my house. And you might think, well, 10 minutes isn't very far. That seems really reasonable. Walmart is next door. But Walmart didn't have cards. So I'm going to allocate my resources and my time for the sake of meeting this motivation in my life. And when we dedicate parts of our life to something in that manner, when we dedicate greater and greater parts of our life to fulfilling some motivation, then we are essentially serving that purpose. What do we serve? Masters. And that is how a single motivation can grow into the place of being a little master in our lives. And again, we see this throughout Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 2, Jesus said this, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the streets and in the synagogues, that they may be praised by others. So the religious leaders of that day were motivated by the praise and approval of other people. And that motivation determined their action. And it even determined how they used their resources. Because now they're spending money to hire a trumpet player to follow them around. Can you imagine yourself paying money for someone to follow you with a trumpet? And to go with you wherever you go. Everyone look at me. Burr, 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 burr. You're doing too much. They were doing too much, and yet their motivation determined their action. And they dedicated parts of their life to it, and they served it. And that can be true of the other motivations we talked about as well. If we are motivated for the sake of money or mammon, then we will dedicate our time and our energy and our thoughts and our emotions to the pursuit of money. Now, it should work. The Bible values work. New Testament says, man, don't work, man, don't eat. And I like to eat, therefore I work. Say work, 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 work. <laughs> Thank you for like the two people who are on board with this. All right, so we should work, but sometimes we start giving things we don't have. Time and energy we don't have. We take it from other things. We give it to work, taking what we don't have to really receive what we don't need. Serving money. Sometimes if we serve indulgence, we don't care how much it costs us or our family or our faith as long as we feel pleasure and have fun. That's what it's like to be mastered by indulgence. You trade your long-term well-being for your short-term enjoyment and pleasure. It's not worth it. We can be mastered by our anxiety. And again, that happens in one of two ways. One, you can continue to run away from your problems and hide from the things that are best for you and things that need to be taken care of and done in your life for the sake of maintaining short-term comfort. Meanwhile, real things are piling up in the background. And we just shut our eyes and act like it isn't there. Or we can continue to act in compulsion and check our email statements and, and check our emails and check our bank statements over and over and over again. It didn't change in the last week. It didn't change in the last five minutes. But we do it again and again and again 
because the anxiety is there in our mind and we want to do something about it. And every time it drives us to do something that's essentially useless, we're being mastered by it. And we need to identify these masters in our lives because the wrong master can lead to disaster. The wrong master can lead to disaster. Matthew 6, 19, here's what Jesus said. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. The very nature of these things that motivate us, these little masters that take up large parts of our lives, they are temporary and limited by nature. And that's why when we go to them to find ultimate satisfaction, it isn't long before we need it again. Because it's not meant to meet our needs. It can't. It can't do that. And many of these things also exist outside of our control. So if we have bought a wonderful house, and please, by all means, do so, we can't control if a windstorm uproots a tree and throws it through the garage. We can't control if the great car that we've worked for and that we are motivated by and it has mastered us to an extent, we can't control if somebody blows through a red light and hits us. I'm familiar. Trust me, it happens. And so these little masters that we live for leave us empty-handed and broken. And then we crawl back for more. And they leave us unfulfilled and broken and empty again. These motivations, these little masters, they are unworthy of that place in our lives. Only Jesus is worthy of being the master in our lives. The title for this series is the book of Matthew, but the tagline is very telling, and it's the king and his kingdom. The book of Matthew focuses on teaching us about Jesus as king and the kingdom of God. And one thing that's often said about the kingdom of God is that it's an upside-down kingdom. What's that mean? When we live in the kingdom of God, we live in a way that is upside-down or contrary to the way of the world. We live in a way that is counterintuitive to that which we have become used to doing. And we are used to living for ourselves. We're used to living to fulfill our own desires. But in God's upside-down kingdom, you find greater fulfillment when you live for someone else. We find greater fulfillment and greater joy and greater provision and greater hope, not when we live for ourselves, but when we live for Jesus. And what makes Jesus so worthy? It's the fact that he fulfills every need that we need and he surpasses all of our understanding and he provides everything that our little masters promise us and can't provide. Uh, Matthew 6, 4b says, your father who sees in secret will reward you. When we do the right things for the right reason, God rewards us. And anything that our little motivations promise to fulfill, God can give us in full. When I live for the approval of other people, it only fills my tank in, in part. But when I live for God and I remember that I'm already loved by God fully and completely, then it fills me to the full. Right? When I live to provide for myself or where I'm constantly stressed about my own finances, I can only help my family and provide to an extent. But when I put my trust and faith in God, he can provide for all of my needs. When I live to scratch the itch of anxiety in my life and in my heart, I can only handle that to an extent. 
But God can give me peace that passes all understanding. Jesus will do in full what any other motivation can only do in part. And when Jesus provides for us in this way and loves us in this way, it's lasting. And nothing in the world can change it or take it away. That's why Matthew 6.20 says, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And when we realize that this kind of life and fulfillment is waiting for us in Christ, and our focus can change from ourselves to the king and his kingdom. We can move our eyes and we can change what we live for. The verses in Matthew 6, 22 and 23 refer to this. It says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Our focus, our focus impacts the condition of our souls. So if we look at good things that come from God and his kingdom, then our souls, our hearts, our minds is filled with light and joy and life. And when we focus on things of the world that are perishing, then our souls are filled with darkness. And if you really want to figure out what your focus is, what your master is, then figure out what you're focused on. What takes up the majority of your thoughts? What takes up your time? What do you give your energy to? What do you rely on most for joy? The answer to those questions might reveal the master in your life. And I think if we're honest, sometimes we might find ourselves living for some little master that isn't worthy of that place in our lives. Some lesser motivation that promises to fulfill our needs and just can't do it. And so if we want to change our master, then we need to change our focus. And we need to focus on Jesus again. That's one reason why we want to read through the Bible together as a church family. When we read the Bible, it's like a reminder to focus on Christ. Does anybody here use the reminder app on their phone? Or put reminders on their calendar? Right, I need this stuff. Because if you know me, I'm a little bit forgetful. I'm, I'm really forgetful. And so I put different reminders in my phone so I can say, hey, I have a doctor's appointment today. I need to take the car in to be serviced. Oh, maybe I shouldn't hang out with the guys that day. That's my anniversary. It's my daughter's birthday. These reminders tell me what's important and what I should do. And when we go to the word again and again and again, it reminds us of what's important. It reminds us of who we are and who God is. The word of God reminds us of what we should do. And most importantly, what Jesus has already done. So when we go to the word, it reminds us to follow him and to place our focus on him. And when our focus on God grows and our focus on Christ grows, then his place as the master in our life grows too. And that's when we get to experience the beauty of following Jesus because Jesus meets every need and surpasses our expectations. This is how Matthew chapter 6 ends, verse 33. But seek First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you as well. DJ read this verse during worship. When we seek God first, he gives us everything else we need. All these things are added to us as well. What does all these things include? Everything that this chapter talked about beforehand. So the approval that people try to find from others. We find that in Jesus. 
you realize that Jesus knows everything you do. Jesus knows every flaw. Jesus knows every sin. And yet he loves us fully and completely. Jesus can provide for all of our needs. Now, he might disagree with us on what's actually a need. Jesus lives from an eternal perspective, not a temporary one. He doesn't want to give us something that's going to become another master in our lives. But the things that we actually need, he'll give that to us. Jesus can give us peace that passes all understanding. All of these things are waiting in him. And if we're willing to put Jesus first, and we allow the king to be on his throne, then we get to experience the benefits of living in the kingdom of God. But that is up to us. That depends on whether we're willing to cast everything else to the side. To take an honest look at the things that we live for. The things that we're focused on. The reasons why we're focused on them. And say, you know what? I don't need to spend so much time and energy and attention on this issue. Because I could never fully satisfy the desire of my own heart. But Jesus... Jesus can meet me right where I need him. And he can do what nothing else can do. And he can fill in a way that no one else can fill. So I'm willing to put Jesus first, to focus on him and live for him. So what is the greatest motivator in your life right now? Is it something that can actually satisfy you? Is it something that can actually do what you want it to do? Or is it something that needs to be cast aside so that King Jesus can be the master in your life? So that as you focus on him, he can meet every need that you have. Let's take a moment and ponder that in prayer. Lord, I pray that in this moment you would help us to see and understand our own motivations. Help us to see what we're focused on, what we rely on for joy, what we give our time and thoughts and energy and attention to. And help us to recognize whether or not that one thing has become like a little master that we serve with our lives. And Lord, if we have something on the throne of our lives that isn't you, that's not worthy, that's not able to provide for all of our needs, emotional, spiritual, physical, then I pray that you would give us the grace by your spirit to remove it from that place and to put you first. To seek first the kingdom of God and all of its righteousness so that everything else can be added to us as well. And if we can remain in a posture of prayer with heads bowed and eyes closed, you might be here this morning and you've never really knew what it meant to follow Jesus. You don't think you have a relationship with Jesus but you realize now that you believe in him and that you want to follow him and live his way. If that's you, 
and you want to start that journey today, then on the count of three, I invite you to raise your hand so we can pray together. One, two, three. Anybody here? Praise God. I see you. I see you. Anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. All right, if that's you today, I want to invite you to repeat after me as the church repeats along with us. The word says that if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, then you are saved. So please repeat after me as the church repeats along too. Say, Father in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus. I believe that he came to earth, that he lived a perfect life, that he died in my place and rose again three days later. Help me, Jesus, to follow you, to live for you, to experience the great things you have in store for me. I love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.